Section 33 of Hinduism and Buddhism in Historical Sketch, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. Hinduism and Buddhism in Historical Sketch, Volume 1 by Charles Eliot, The Jains. Footnote 251. See, besides the translations mentioned below, Bueller, Uber, De Indische Secte der Janus, 1887, Hornley, Metaphysics and Ethics of the Janus, 1908, and Guerinot, Essai de Bibliographie Jana and Repertoire de Epigraphie Jana, Jagmandarlal Jani, Outlines of Jainism. Jacobi's article, Jainism, in E.R.E. Much information may also be found in Mrs. Stevenson's Heart of Jainism, Winternet's Geschichte der Indischen Literature, Volume 2, Part 2, 1920. Treats of Jain literature, but I have not been able to see it. End footnote. Part 1. Before leaving pre-Buddhist India, it may be well to say something of the Jains. Many of their doctrines, especially their disregard not only of priests but of gods, which seem to us so strange in any system which can be called a religion, are closely analogous to Buddhism and from one point of view Jainism is part of the Buddhist movement. But more accurately, it may be called an early specialized form of the general movement which culminated in Buddhism. Its founder, Mahavira, was an earlier contemporary of the Buddha and not a pupil or imitator. Footnote 252 In JRAS 1917, pages 122 to 123, S. V. Venkateshwara argues that Vardhaman died about 437 BC and that the Niganathas of the Pitaks were followers of Parsva. His arguments deserve consideration, but he seems not to lay sufficient emphasis on the facts that a. According to the Buddhist scriptures, the Buddha and Gosala were contemporaries, while according to the Jain scriptures, Gosala and Vardhamana were contemporaries. b. In the Buddhist scripture, Nataputta is the representative of the Nagathas, while according to the Jain scriptures, Vardhamana was of the Niyata clan. End footnote. Even had its independence appearance been later, we might still say that it represents an earlier stage of thought. Its kinship to the theories mentioned in the last chapter is clear. It does not indeed deny responsibility and free will, but its advocacy of extreme asceticism and death by starvation has a touch of the same extravagance and its list of elements in which physical substances and ideas are mixed together is curiously crude. Jainism is atheistic and this atheism is as a rule neither apologetic nor polemical but is accepted as a natural religious attitude. By atheism, of course, a denial of the existence of devas is not meant. 
the Jains surpass, if possible, the exuberant fancy of the Brahmins and Buddhists in designing imaginary worlds and peopling them with angelic or diabolical inhabitants, but, as in Buddhism, these beings are like mankind subject to transmigration and decay and are not the masters, still less the creators of the universe. There were two principal world theories in ancient India. One, which was systemized as the Vedanta, teaches in its extreme form that the soul and the universal spirit are identical and the external world an illusion. The other, systemized as the Sankhya, is dualistic and teaches that primordial matter and separate individual souls are both of them uncreated and indestructible. Both lines of thought look for salvation in the liberation of the soul to be attained by the suppression of the passions and the acquisition of true knowledge. Jainism belongs to the second of these classes. It teaches that the world is eternal, self-existent and composed of six constituent substances, souls, dharma, adharma, space, time and particles of matter. Footnote 253. The atoms are either simple or compound and from their combinations are produced the four elements, earth, wind, fire and water and the whole material universe. For a clear statement of the modern Jain doctrine about dharma and adharma, see Jagmandar Lal Jaini, LC pages 22FF. End footnote. Dharma and Adharma are defined by modern Jains as subtle substances analogous to space which makes it possible for things to move or rest, but Jacobi is probably right in supposing that in primitive speculation the words had their natural meaning and denoted subtle fluids which cause merit and demerit. In any case, the enumeration places, in singular juxtaposition, substances and activities, the material and the immaterial. The process of salvation and liberation is not distinguished from physical processes and we see how other sects may have drawn the conclusion, which apparently the Jains did not draw, that human action is necessitated and that there is no such thing as free will. For Jainism, individual souls are free, separate existences whose essence is pure intelligence. But they have a tendency towards action and passion and are misled by false beliefs. For this reason, in the existence which we know, they are chained to bodies and are found not only in devas and in human beings, but in animals, plants and inanimate matter. The habitation of the soul depends on the merit or demerit which it acquires and merit and demerit have respectively greater or less influence during immensely long periods called Utsarpini and Avsarpini, ascending and descending in which human stature and the duration of life increase or decrease by a regular law. Merit secures birth among the gods or good men. Sin sends the soul to baser births even in inanimate substances. On this downward path, the intelligence is gradually dimmed till at last motion and consciousness are lost, which is not, however, regarded as equivalent to annihilation. Another dogmatic exposition of the Jain creed is based on seven principles called soul, non-soul, 
influx, imprisonment, exclusion, dissipation, and release. Footnote 254 Jiva, Ajiva, Asrava, Bandha, Savara, Nirjara, Moksha The principles are sometimes made nine by the addition of Punya, Merit, and Pap, Sin. End footnote Karma which in the ordinary language of Indian philosophy means deeds and their effect on the soul, is here regarded as a peculiarly subtle form of matter which enters the soul and by this influx or asrava, a term well known in Buddhism, defiles and weighs it down. Footnote 255 Pod Karma It would seem that all these ideas about karma should be taken in a literal and material sense. Karma, which is a specially subtle form of matter able to enter, stain and weigh down the soul, is of eight kinds. First and second, Janyana and Darshana, Varanya, impede knowledge and faith which the soul naturally possesses. Third, Mohanya causes delusion. Fourth, Vedanya brings pleasure and pain. Five, Ayushka fixes the length of life. Sixth, Nama furnishes individual characteristics and seventh Gotra generic eighth Antaraya hinders the development of good qualities and footnote as food is transformed into flesh so the karma forms a subtle body which invests the soul and prevents it from being wholly isolated from matter at death the upward path and liberation of the soul are affected by stopping the entrance of karma, that is by not performing actions which give occasion to the influx and by expelling it. The most effective means to this end is self-mortification, which not only prevents the entrance of new karma, but annihilates what has accumulated. Like most Indian sects, Jainism considers the world of transmigration as a bondage or journey which the wise long to terminate. But joyless as is its immediate outlook, its ultimate ideas are not pessimistic. Even in the body, the soul can attain a beatific state of perfect knowledge and above the highest heaven, where the greatest gods live in bliss for immense periods, though ultimately subject to transmigration, is the paradise of blessed souls freed from transmigration. Footnote 256 Kevalam also called Jnana Moksha, Nirvana. The Nirvana of the Jains is clearly not incompatible with the continuance of intelligence and knowledge. End footnote. They have no visible form but consist of life throughout and enjoy happiness beyond compare. With the materialism characteristics of Jain theology, the treatise from which this account is taken adds that the dimensions of a perfected soul are two-thirds of the height possessed in its last existence. Footnote 257 Uttradhyayana 36, 64-68 in SBE 45, pages 212-213 End footnote How is this paradise to be reached? By right faith, right knowledge, right conduct, called the three jewels, a phrase familiar to Buddhism. The right faith is complete confidence in Mahavira and his teaching. Right knowledge is correct theology as outlined above. Knowledge is of five degrees of which the highest is called Kevalam or Omniscience. 
This sounds ambitious, but the special method of reasoning favored by the Jains is the modest Syadvada, or doctrine of maybe, which holds that you can first affirm the existence of a thing from one point of view, second deny it from another, and third affirm both existence and non-existence with reference to it at different times. If fourth you should think of affirming existence and non-existent at the same time and from the same point of view you must say that the thing cannot be spoken of footnote 258 sbe 45 page 27 bhandarka report for 1883 to 1884 pages 95 ff end footnote the essence of the doctrine, so far as one can disentangle it from the scholastic terminology, seems just what it amounts to this, that as to matters of experience it is possible to formulate the whole and complete truth, and as to matters which transcend experience, language is inadequate. Also that being is associated with production, continuation and destruction. This doctrine is called an Ekantavada meaning that being is not one and absolute as the Upanishads assert. Matter is permanent but changes its shape and its other accidents. Thus, in many points, the Jains adopt the common sense and prima facie point of view. But the doctrines of metempsychosis and karma are also admitted as obvious propositions, and though the fortunes and struggles of the embodied soul are described in materialistic terms, happiness is never placed in material well-being but in liberation from the material universe. We cannot be sure that the existing Jain scriptures present these doctrines in their original form, but the full acceptance of metempsychosis, the animistic belief that plants, particles of earth and water have souls, and the materialistic phraseology, from which the widely different speculations of the Upanishads are by no means free, agree with what we know of Indian thought about 550 BC Jainism, like Buddhism, ignores the efficacy of ceremonies and the powers of priest, but it bears even fewer signs than Buddhism of being in its origin a protestant or hostile movement. The intellectual atmosphere seems other than that of the Upanishads, but it is very nearly that of the Sankhya philosophy, which also recognizes an infinity of individual souls, radically distinct from matter, incapable of attaining bliss, only by isolation from matter. Of the origin of that important school we know nothing, but it differs from Jainism chiefly in the greater elaboration of its psychological and evolutionary theories and in the elimination of some materialistic ideas. Possibly the same region and climate of opinion give birth to two doctrines, one simple and practical, inasmuch as it found its principal expression in a religious order, the other more intellectual and scholastic, and, at least in the form in which we read it, later. Footnote 259 Somewhat similar seems to be the relation of Jainism to the Vaisheshika philosophy. It accepted an early form of the atomic theory, and this theory was subsequently elaborated in the philosophy whose founder, Kanyada, was, according to Jains, a pupil of a Jain ascetic. End footnote Right conduct is based on the five vows taken by every Jain ascetic. 1. Not to kill. 2. 
not to speak in truth, three, to take nothing that is not given, four, to observe chastity, five, to renounce all pleasure in external objects. These vows receive an extensive and strict interpretation by means of five explanatory clauses applicable to each and to be constructed with reference to deed, word and thought, to acting, commanding and consenting. Thus, the vow not to kill forbids not only the destruction of the smallest insect but also all speech or thought which could bring about a quarrel and the doing causing or permitting of any action which could bring even inadvertently injure living beings such as carelessness in walking naturally such rules can be kept only by an ascetic and in addition to them asceticism is expressly enjoined it is either internal or external the former takes such forms as repentance humility meditation and the suppression of all desires the latter compromises various forms of self-denial culminating in death by starvation this form of religious suicide is prescribed for those who have undergone twelve years penance and are ripe for nirvan but it is wrong if adopted as a means of shortening austerities footnote 260 example given see asaranga s i seven six and footnote numerous inscriptions record such deaths and the head teachers of the digambaras are said still to leave the world in this way important but not peculiar to jainism is the doctrine of the periodical appearance of great teachers who from time to time restore the true faith footnote 261 they seem to have authority to formulate it in a form suitable to the needs of the age. Thus we are told that Parshva enjoined four vows, but Mahavira five. End footnote. The same idea meets us in the fourteen Manus, the incarnations of Vishnu and the series of Buddhas who preceded Gautama. The Jain saints are sometimes designated as Buddha, Kevalin, Siddha, Tathagata and Arhat, all Buddhist titles, but their special appellation is Jina or Conqueror, which is, however, also used by Buddhists. Footnote 262. When Gautama, after attaining Buddhahood, was on his way to Banaras, he met Upaka, a naked ascetic, to whom he declared that he was the Supreme Buddha. Then, said Upaka, you profess to be the Jinnah, and Gautama replied that he did Tasma Ham Upaka Jinoti. Mahavag 1 6 10. End footnote. It was clearly a common notion in India that great teachers appeared at regular intervals and that one might reasonably be expected in the 6th century BC. The Jains gave preference or prominence to the titles Jina or Tirthankara, the Buddhist to Buddha or Tagagata. Part 2. According to the Jain scriptures, all Jinas are born in the warrior caste, never among Brahmins. The first called Rishabha, who was born an almost inexpressibly long time ago and lived 8,400,000 years, was the son of a king of Ayodhya. Footnote 263. 
The exact period is 100 billion sagras of years. A sagra is 100 million palias. A palia is the period in which a well a mile deep filled with fine hairs can be emptied if one hair is withdrawn every hundred years. End footnote. But as ages elapsed, the lives of his successors and the intervals which separated them became shorter. Parswa, the 23rd Jina, must have some historical basis. Footnote 264. C. M. Bloomfield, Life and Stories of Parse Vanatha, 1919. End footnote. We are told that he lived 250 years before Mahavira, that his followers still existed in the time of the latter, that he permitted the use of clothes and taught that four and not five vows were necessary. Footnote 265. See the discussions between followers of Parsva and Mahavira given in Uttradhyayana 24 and Sutra Kritanga 2.7. End footnote. Both Jain and Buddhist scriptures support the idea that Mahavira was a reviver and reformer rather than an originator. The former do not emphasize the novelty of his revelation and the latter treat Jainism as a well-known form of error without indicating that it was either new or attributable to one individual. Mahavira, or the great hero, is the common designation of the 24th Jina, but his personal name was Vardhamana. He was a contemporary of the Buddha, but somewhat older and belonged to a Kshatriya clan variously called Jinyata, Nyata or Nyaya, his parents lived in a suburb of Vaishali and were followers of Parsva. When he was in his thirty-first year, they decided to die by voluntary starvation and after their death he renounced the world and started to wander naked in western Bengal, enduring some persecution as well as self-inflicted penances. After thirteen years of this life, he believed that he had attained enlightenment and appeared as the Jina, the head of a religious order called Nirganthanas or Niganthas. This word, which means unfettered or free from bonds, is the name by which the Jains are generally known in Buddhist literature and it occurs in their own scriptures, though it gradually fell out of use. Possibly it was the designation of an order claiming to have been founded by Parsva and accepted by Mahavira. The meagre account of his life relate that he continued to travel for nearly thirty years and had eleven principal disciples. He apparently influenced much the same region as the Buddha and came in contact with the same personalities such as King Bimbisara, Ajatsattu. He had relations with Makkhali Ghosala and his disciples disputed with the Buddhists, but it does not appear that he himself ever met Gautama. Footnote 266 There are many references to Niganthas in the Buddhist scriptures and the Buddha, while by no means accepting their views, treats them with tolerance. Thus he bade Siha, general of the Lichavis, who became his disciple after being an adherent of Nataputta to continue to give alms as before to Nigatha ascetics. Mahavag 6.32 End footnote
He died at the age of 72 at Pava near Rajgaha. Only one of his principal disciples, Sudharman, survived him and a schism broke out immediately after his death. There had already been one in the 15th year of his teaching brought about by his son-in-law. Part 3 We have no information about the differences on which these schisms turned, but Jainism is still split into two sects which, though following in most respects identical doctrines and customs, refuse to intermarry or eat together. Their sacred literature is not the same and the evidence of inscriptions indicates that they were distinct at the beginning of the Christian era and perhaps much earlier. The Digambara sect, or those who are clothed in air, maintain that absolute nudity is a necessary condition of saintship. The other division, or Shvetambaras, those who are dressed in white, admit that Mahavira went about naked but hold that the use of clothes does not impede the highest sanctity and also that such sanctity can be attained by women which the Digambaras deny. Nudity as a part of asceticism was practiced by several sects in the time of Mahavira but it was also reprobated by others including all Buddhists who felt it to be barbarous and unedifying. Footnote 267 especially among the Ajivikas. Their leader, Gosala, had a personal quarrel with Mahavira, but his teaching was almost identical except that he was a fatalist. End footnote. It is therefore probable that both Digambaras and Shwetambaras existed in the infancy of Jainism and the latter may represent the oldest sect reformed or exaggerated by Mahavira. Thus we are told that the law taught by Vardhamana forbids clothes, but that of the great sage Parshva allows an under an upper garment. Footnote 268 Uttradhyayana 23-29 End footnote But it was not until considerably later that the schism was completed by the constitution of two different canons. Footnote 269 According to Shwetambara tradition, there was a great schism 609 years after Mahavira's death. The canon was not fixed until 904 or 454 AD of the same era. The Digambara traditions are different but appear to be later. End footnote. At the present day, most Digambaras wear the ordinary costume of their district and only the higher ascetics attempt to observe the rule of nudity. When they go about, they wrap themselves in a large cloth but lay it aside when eating. The Digambaras are divided into four principal sects and the Shwetambaras into no less than 84 which are said to date from the 10th century AD. Apart from these divisions, all Jain communities are differentiated into laymen and members of the order or yatis, literally strivers. It is recognized that laymen cannot observe the five vows. Killing, lying and stealing are forbidden to them only in their obvious and gross forms. Chastity is replaced by conjugal fidelity and self-denial by the prohibition of covetousness. They can also acquire merit by observing seven other miscellaneous vows. Whence we hear of the twelvefold law, comprising rules as to residence, trade, etc. 
Agriculture is forbidden since it involves tearing up the ground and the death of insects. Mahavira was succeeded by a long line of teachers, sometimes called patriarchs, and it would seem that their names have been correctly preserved, though the accounts of their doings are meagre. Various notices in Buddhist literature confirm the idea that the Jains were active in the districts corresponding to Od, Tirhat, and Bihar in the period following Mahavira's death, and we hear of them in Ceylon before our era. Further historical evidence is afforded by inscriptions. Footnote 270. See especially Guerinot Repertoire de Epigraphie Jaina. End footnote. The earliest in which the Jains are mentioned are the edicts of Ashoka. He directed the officials called superintendents of religion to concern themselves with the Nigantha. Footnote 271. So Bueller, Pillar Edict Number 8, Senart Inscription de Piadasi 2. 97 translates somewhat differently, but the reference to the Jains is not disputed. End footnote. And when he describes how he has provided medicine, useful plants, and wells for both men and animal, we are reminded of the hospitals for animals which are still maintained by the Jains. Footnote 272. Rock Edict 8. End footnote. According to Jain tradition, which however has not yet been verified by other evidence, Samrapati, the grandson of Ashoka, was a devout patron of the faith. More certain is the patronage accorded to it by King Kharavel of Odisha about 157 BC, which is attested by inscriptions. Many dedicatory inscriptions prove that the Jains were a flourishing community at Mutra in the reigns of Kanishka, Hovishka and Vasudeva and one inscription from the same locality seems as old as 150 BC. We learn from these records that the sect comprised a great number of schools and subdivisions. We need not suppose that the different teachers were necessarily hostile to one another, but their existence testifies to an activity and freedom of interpretation which have left traces in the multitude of modern subsects. Jainism also spread in the south of India and before our era it had a stronghold in Tamil lands, but our knowledge of its early progress is defective. According to Jain tradition, there was a severe famine in northern India about 200 years after Mahavira's death and the patriarch Bhadrabahu led a band of the faithful to the south. Footnote 273 Rice, Mysore and Kurk from the inscriptions 1909, page 310, thinks that certain inscriptions at Shravana Belgola in Mysore established that this tradition is true and also that the expedition was accompanied by King Chandragupta who had abdicated and become a Jain ascetic. But this interpretation has been much criticized. It is probably true that a migration occurred and increased the differences which ultimately led to the division into Shwetambaras and the Gambaras. End footnote. In the 7th century AD, we know from various records of the reign of Harsha and from Chinese pilgrims Xuan Shuang that it was nourishing in Vaishali and Bengal and also as far south as Konjivaram. 
It also made considerable progress in the southern Maratha country under the Chalukya dynasty at Vatapi in the modern district of Bijapur, 500 to 750, and under the Rashtrakuta sovereigns of the Deccan. Amoghavarsha of this line, 815 to 877, patronized the Digambaras and in his old age abdicated and became an ascetic. The names of notable Digambara leaders like Jinasena and Gunabhadra dating from this period are preserved and Jainism must in some district have become the dominant religion. Bidjala, who usurped the Chalukya throne, 1156-1167, was a Jain and the holy Sala kings of Mysore, though themselves Vaishnavas, protected the religion. Inscriptions appear to attest the presence of Jainism at Girnar in the 1st century AD and subsequently Gujarat became a model Jain state after the conversion of King Kumarapal about 1160. Footnote 274 Guerinot, Epic, Jaina, number 11 End footnote such success naturally incurred the enmity of the Brahmins, and there is more evidence of systematic persecution directed against the Jains than against the Buddhists. The Chola kings who ruled in the southeast of the Madras presidency were jealous worshippers of Shiva, and the Jains suffered severely at their hands in the 11th century and also under the Pandya kings of the extreme south. King Sundara of the latter dynasty is said to have impaled 8,000 of them and pictures on the walls of the great temple at Madura represent their tortures. A little later, 1174, Ajayadeva, a Shaiva king of Gujarat, is said to have raged against them with equal fury. The rise of the Lingayats in the Deccan must also have had an unfavorable effect on their numbers. But... In the 14th century, greater tolerance prevailed, perhaps in consequence of the common danger from Islam. Inscriptions found at Shravana, Belgola and other places narrate an interesting event which occurred in 1368. Footnote 275 Rice, Mysore and Kur from the inscriptions, 1909, pages 113 to 114 and 207 to 208. End footnote. The Jains appeared to the king of Vijayanagar for protection from persecution and he effected a public reconciliation between them and the Vaishnavas, holding the hands of both leaders in his own and declaring that equal protection would be given to both sects. Another inscription records an amicable agreement regulating the worship of a lingam in a Jain temple at Halibut. Many others, chiefly recording grants of land, testify to the prosperity of Jainism in the Hindu kingdom of Vijayanagar and in the region of Mount Abu in the 16th and 17th centuries. Footnote 276 Similar tolerance is attested by inscriptions. Example given, Guerinot, Numbers 522 and 5776, recording donations to both Jain and Shaiva temples. End footnote. The great emperor Akbar himself came under the influence of Jainism and received instructions from three Jain teachers from 1578 to 1597.
Persecution and still more, the steady pressure and absorptive power of Hinduism have reduced the proportions of the sect and the last census estimated it at one million and a third. It is probable, however, that many Jains return themselves as Hindus and that their numbers are really greater. More than two-fifths of them are found in Bombay, Rajputana and central India. Elsewhere, they are generally distributed, but only in small numbers. They observe caste, at least in some districts, and generally belong to the Baniyas. They include many wealthy merchants who expand large sums on the construction and maintenance of temples, houses for wandering ascetics, and homes for cattle. Their respect and care for animal life are remarkable. Wherever Jains gain influence, beasts are not slaughtered or sacrificed, and when old or injured are often kept in hospitals or asylums, as, for instance, at Ahmedabad. Footnote 277. They also make a regular practice of collecting and rearing young animals which the owner throw away or wish to kill. End footnote. Their aesthetics take stringent precautions to avoid killing the smallest creatures. They strain their drinking water, sweep the ground before them with a broom as they walk, and wear a veil over their mouths. Even in the shops of the laity, lamps are carefully screened to prevent insects from burning themselves. The principal divisions are the Digambra and Shwetambra, as above described, and an offshoot of the latter called Dhundia, who refuse to use images and worship, and are remarkable even among Jains for their aversion to taking life. Footnote 278 or Sthanakavasi. See for them Census of India, 1911, 1, page 127, and Baroda, page 93. The sect was founded about A.D. 1653. End footnote. In central India, the Digambaras are about half the total number. In Baroda and Bombay, the Shwetambaras are stronger. In central India, the Jains are said to be sharply distinguished from Hindus, but in other parts, they intermarry the Vaishnavas and, while respecting their own ascetics as religious teachers, employ the services of Brahmins in their ceremonies. Part 4 The Jains have a copious and in part ancient literature. The oldest works are found in the canon or Siddhanta of the Shwetambaras, which is not accepted by the Digambaras. In this canon, the highest rank is given to eleven works called Angas or Limbs of the Law, but it also comprises many other esteemed treatises such as the Kalpa Sutra ascribed to Bhadrabahu. Footnote 279 Their names are as follows in Jain Prakrit, the Sanskrit equivalent being given in Brakita. 1. Ayaranga Suttam Akaranga 2. Suya Gadangam, Sutra Kritangam, 3. Thanangam, Stha, 4. Samavayangam, 5. Vyahapanyati, Vyakya Prajnapati. This work is commonly known as Bhagavati. 6. Nyaya Dhamma Kahao, Jnyata Dharma Katha, 7. Uvasa Gadasao, Upasa Kadasa, 8. Antagadadasao, 
अंतक्रिदत नाइन अनुता राव वा वाई दासाओ अनुता राव पापातिकड टेन पन्हा वगर नाइम प्रश्ना व्याकरणानी इलेवन विवागय सूयम विपाकस्रूतम The books marked with an asterisk have been translated by Jacobi SBE volumes 22 and 14 Hornley and Barnett C2 Weber Indische Studien BD 16 pages to 11 to 479 and BD 18 pages 1 to 90 end footnote 14 older books called Puvas SK Purvas and now lost are said to have together formed a twelfth anga. The language of the Canaan is a variety of Prakrit, fairly ancient though more modern than Pali, and remarkable for its habit of omitting or softening consonants coming between two vowels. Example given: Suyam for sutram, lu for loco. Footnote two eighty. It is called Arsha or Ardha Magadi. and is the literary form of the vernacular of berar in the early centuries of the christian era see et jacobi oskevalte erza lungen in maharashtri an introduction to edition of ayaranga sutta footnote 280 the titles given in note 2 illustrate some of its peculiarities end footnote We cannot however conclude that it is the language in which the books were composed for it is probable that the early jains rejecting brahmanical notions of a revealed text handed down their religious teachings in the vernacular and allowed its grammar and phonetics to follow the changes brought about by time according to a tradition which probably contains elements of truth the first collection of sacred works was made about 200 years after mahavira's death by a council which sat at patliputra just about the same time came the famine already mentioned and many jains migrated to the south when they returned they found that their co-religionists had abandoned the obligation of nakedness and they consequently refused to recognize their sacred books The Shvetambara canon was subsequently revised and written down by a council held at Vallabhi in Gujarat in the middle of the 5th century AD. This is the edition which is still extant. The canon of the Digambaras which is less well known is said to be chiefly in Sanskrit and according to tradition was codified by Pushpadanta in the 2nd century AD but appears to be really posterior to the Shvetambara scriptures. Footnote 282 When I visited Shravana Belgola in 1910 the head of the Jains there who professed to be a Digambara though dressed in purple raiment informed me that their sacred works were partly in Sanskrit and partly in Prakrit he showed me a book called Triloka Sara and footnote It is divided into four sections called Vedas and treating respectively of history, cosmology, philosophy and rules of life. Footnote 283. But see Jagmandarlal Jaini LC Appendix 5. End footnote. Though the books of the Jain canon contain ancient matter, yet they seem as compositions considerably later than the older parts of the Buddhist Tripitaka. 
They do not claim to record recent events and teaching but are attempts at synthesis which assume that Jainism is well known and respected. In style, they offer some resemblance to the Pitakas. There is the same inordinate love of repetition and in the more emotional passages, great similarity of tone and metaphor. Footnote 284. Compare, for instance, Uttaradhyayana 10, 23 and 25 with the Sutta Nipata and Dhammapada. End footnote. Besides the two canons, the Jains have considerable literature consisting both of commentaries and secular works. The most eminent of their authors is Hemachandra, born in 1088, who though a monk was an ornament of the court and rendered an important service to his sect by converting Kumarapala, king of Gujarat. He composed numerous and valuable works on grammar, lexicography, poetics and essayistical biography. Such subjects were congenial to the later Jain writers and they not only cultivated both Sanskrit and Prakrit but also had a vivifying effect on the vernaculars of the southern India. Kanaris, Tamil and Telugu in their literary form owe much to the labours of Jain monks and the Jain works composed in these languages such as Jiva Kasintamani in Tamil if not of worldwide importance, at least greatly influenced the Dravidian civilization. Though the Jains thus occupy an honorable and even distinguished place in the history of letters, it must be confessed that it is hard to praise their older religious books. This literature is of considerable scientific interest for it contains many data about ancient India as yet unsifted but it is tedious in style and rarely elevated in sentiment. It has an arid extravagance which merely piles one above the other interminable lists of names and computations of immensity in time and space. Even more than in the Buddhist suttas, there is a tendency to repetition which offends our sense of proportion and though the main idea to free the soul from the trammels of passion and matter is not inferior to any of the religious themes of India, the treatment is not adequate to the subject and the counsels of perfection are smothered under a mass of minute precepts about the most unsavory details of life and culminate in the recommendation of death by voluntary starvation. Part 5. But observation of Jainism as it exists today produces a quite different impression. The Jains are well-to-do, industrious and practical. Their schools and religious establishments are well-ordered. Their temples have a beauty, cleanliness and cheerfulness unusual in India and due to the large use made of white marbles and brilliant colours. The tenderness for animal life may degenerate into superstition, though surely it is a fault on the right side, and some observances of the ascetics, such as pulling out the hair instead of shaving the head, are severe. But as a community, the Jains lead sane and serious lives, hardly practicing and certainly not parading the extravagances of self-torture which they theoretically commend. Mahavira is said to have taught that place, time and occasion should be taken into consideration and his successors adapted their precepts to the age in which they lived. Such monks as I have met maintain that extreme forms of tapas were good for the nerves of ancient saints but not for weaker natures of today. 
but in avoiding rigorous severity they have not fallen into sloth or luxury footnote two eight five i have only visited establishments in towns possibly yatis who follow a severer rule may be found in the country especially among the gumbras and footnote the beauty of jainism finds its best expression in architecture this reached its zenith both in style and quantity during the eleventh and twelfth centuries which accords with what we know of the growth of the sect after this period the mohammedans invasions were unfavourable to all forms of hindu architecture but the taste for building remained and somewhat later pious chance again began to construct large edifices which are generally less degenerate than modern hindu temples though they often show traces of mohammedan influence hathi singh's temple at ahmedabad completed in eighteen forty eight is a fine example of this modern style there is a considerable difference between jain and buddhist architecture both in intention and effect jain monks did not live together in large communities and there was no worship of relics hence the vihara and the stupa the two principal type of buddhist buildings are both absent yet there is some resemblance between jain temples for instance those at palitana and the larger burmese sanctuaries such as the shwe dagon pagoda it is partly due to the same conviction namely that the most meritorious work which a layman can perform is to multiply shrines and images in both localities the general plan is similar on the top of a hill or mound is a central building round which are grouped a multitude of other shrines the repetition of chapels and images is very remarkable in burma they all represent gotama in jain temples the figures of the tirthankaras are nominally different personalities but so alike in presentment that the laity rarely know them apart in both styles of art white and jewelled images are common as well as groups of four sitting figures set back to back and facing the four quarters footnote two eight six in gujarat they are called chomuki and it is said when a tirthankara preached in the midst of his audience each side saw him facing them in burma the four figures are generally said to be the last four buddhas End footnote in both we meet with veritable cities of temples on the hilltops of gujarat and in the plain of pagan on the banks of the iravadi as some figures of burmese art are undoubtedly borrowed from india the above characteristics may be due to imitation of jain methods footnote two eight seven this seems clear from the presence in burma of curvilinear sikra and even of copies of indian temples example given of bodhgaya at pagan burmese pilgrims to gaya might easily have visited mount parasnath on their way End footnote. it might be argued that the architectural style of late indian buddhism survives amongst the jains but there is no proof that the multiplication of temples and images was a feature of this style but in some points it is clear that the jains have followed the artistic conventions of the buddhists thus parshvanatha is sheltered by a cobra's hood 
Like Gautama, and though the Bodhi tree plays no part in the legend of Tirthankaras, they are represented as sitting under such trees, and a living tree is venerated at Palitana. As single edifices illustrating the beauty of Jain art, both in grace of design and patient elaboration of workshop may be mentioned, the towers of fame and victory at Chittor, and the temples of Mount Abu. Some differences of style are visible in North and South India. In the former, the essential features are a shrine with a portico attached and surmounted by a conical tower, the whole placed in a quadrangular court round which are a series of cells or chapels containing images seated on thrones. These are the Tithankaras, almost exactly alike and of white marble, though some of the later saints are represented as black. The Shwetambaras represented their Tithankaras as clothed, but in the temples of the Gambaras, the images are naked. In the south are found religious monuments of two kinds known as Bastis and Bittus. The Bastis consist of pillared vestibules leading to a shrine over which rises a dome constructed in three or four stages. The Bittus are not temples in the ordinary sense, but courtyards surrounding gigantic images of a saint named Gomateswara, who is said to have been the son of the first Tintankara. Footnote 288. I have this information from the Jain Guru at Shravanabilgula. He said that Gomateswara, who seems unknown to the Shvetambaras, was a Kevalin but not a Tirthankaras. End footnote. The largest of these colossi is at Shravana Bilgula. It is 70 feet in height and carved out of a mass of granite standing on the top of a hill and represents a sage so sunk in meditation that anthills and creepers have grown round his feet without breaking his trance. An inscription states that it was erected about 983 AD by the minister of a king of the Ganga dynasty. Footnote 289. Two others, rather smaller, are known, one at Karkal, dated 1431, and one at Yannur. These images are honoured at occasional festivals. One was held at Shavna Belgula in 1910, attended by a considerable concourse of Jains. This type of statues is not Buddhist. They are nude and represent sages meditating in a standing position, whereas Buddhists prescribe a sitting posture for meditation. End footnote. But even more remarkable than these gigantic statues are the collection of temples found on several eminences such as Girnar and Satranjaya, mountain masses which rise abruptly to a height of three or four thousand feet out of level plains. Footnote 290. The mountain of Satranjaya rises above Palitana, the capital of a native state in Gujarat. Other collections of temples are found on the hill of Parasnath in Bengal, at Sonagir near Dartia, and Muktagiri near Gavaligarh. There are also a good many of the hills above Rajgir. End footnote. On the summit of Satranjaya are innumerable shrines, arranged in marble coats or along well-paved streets. In each enclosure is a central temple surrounded by others at the sides, and all are dominated by one which in the proportions of its spire and courtyard surpasses the rest. 
only a few yatis are allowed to pass the night in the sacred precincts and it is a strange experience to enter the gates at dawn and wander through the interminable succession of white marble courts tenanted only by flocks of sacred pigeons on every side sculptured chapels gorgeous in gold and colour stand silent and open within are saints sitting grave and passionless behind the lights that burn on their altars the multitude of calm stone faces the strange silence and emptiness unaccompanied by any sign of neglect or decay and bewildering repetition of shrines and deities in this aerial castle suggest nothing built with human purpose but some petrified spirit world soon after dawn a string of devotees daily ascends the hill most are laymen but there is a considerable sprinkling of ascetics especially nuns after joining the order both sexes wear yellowish white robes and carry long sticks they spend much of their time in visiting holy places and usually do not stop at one rest house for more than two months the worship performed in the temples consists of simple offerings of flowers incense and lights made with little ceremony pilgrims go their rounds in small bands and kneeling together before the images sing the praises to the genas part six it is remarkable that jainism is still a living sect whereas the buddhists have disappeared from india its strength and persistence are centred in its power of enlisting the interest of the laity and of forming them into a corporation in theory the position of the jain and buddhist laymen is the same both revere and support a religious order for which they have not a vocation and are bound by minor vows less stringent than those of the monks but among the buddhists the members of the order came to be regarded more and more as the true church and the laity tended to become what they actually have become in china and japan pious persons who revere that order as something extraneous to themselves and very often only as one among several religious organizations footnote two nine one the strength of buddhism in burma and siam is no doubt largely due to the fact that custom obliges every one to spend part of his life if only a few days as a member of the order and footnote hence when in indian monasteries decayed or were destroyed little active buddhism was left outside them but the wandering ascetics of the jains never concentrated the strength of the religion in themselves to the same extent the severity of their rule limited their numbers the laity were wealthy and practically formed a caste persecution acted as a tonic as a result we have a sect analogous in some ways to jews parsees and quakers among all of whom we find the same features namely a wealthy laity little or no secular totalism and endurance of persecution footnote two nine two one might perhaps add to this list the skoptsi of russia and the armenian colonies in many european and asiatic towns End footnote another question of some interest is how far jainism should be regarded as separate from buddhism historically the position seems clear both are offshoots of a movement which was active in india in the sixth century bc in certain districts and especially among the aristocracy 
Of these offshoots, the survivors, among many which hardly outlived their birth, Jainism was a trifle the earlier, but Buddhism was superior and more satisfying to the intellect and moral sense alike. Out of the theory and practice of religious life current in their time, Gotama fashioned a beautiful vase, Mahavira a homely but still durable pot. The resemblances between the two systems are not merely obvious but fundamental. Both had their origin outside the priestly class and owed much of their success to the protection of princes. Both preach a road to salvation open to man's unaided strength and needing neither sacrifice nor revealed lore. Both are universal, for though Buddhism set about its world mission with more knowledge and grasp of the task, the Jain Sutras are addressed to Aryans and non-Aryans, and it is said that in modern times, Mohammedans have been received into the Jain Church. Neither is theistic. Both believe in some form of reincarnation, in karma, and in the periodical appearance of beings possessed of superhuman knowledge and called indifferently jinas or buddhas. The historian may therefore be disposed to regard the two religions as not differing much more than the varieties of Protestant dissenters to be found in Great Britain. But the theologian will perceive real differences. One of the most important doctrines of Buddhism Perhaps in the Buddha's own esteem, the central doctrine is the non-existence of the soul as a permanent entity. In Jainism, on the contrary, not only the human body but the whole world including inanimate matter is inhibited by individual souls who can also exist apart from matter in individual blessedness. The Jain theory of fivefold knowledge is unknown to the Buddhists, as is their theory of the skandhas to the Jains. Secondly, as to practice Jainism teaches, with some concessions in modern times, that salvation is obtainable by self-mortification, but this is the method which the Buddha condemned after prolonged trial. It is clear that in his own opinion and that of his contemporaries, the rule and ideal of life which he prescribed differed widely from those of the Jains, Ajivikas, and other wandering ascetics. End of section 33